Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com. It's season nine, episode three. I'm joined today by Kyle Gauss. Kyle's back, Ramir Vaughn, Johnny's Wizlack. We got a great, great show for you today. A lot ahead to talk about, of course, with Temple's season opener against Akron. Just two days away now. We got a pretty full mailbag to talk about. Well, of course, break down Saturday's game. We have a basketball non-conference schedule that was released to talk about. Don't know how excited people are about it, but we will talk about it. Nonetheless, you'll hear some audio from throughout the week uh, leading up to the game. Uh, some clips from Stan Drayton, uh, Jordan McGee talking about what they're going to be facing uh, against Akron this weekend. And really, I, I think a more intriguing season opener that, that people might give this one uh, credit for. So a lot of great stuff ahead. The scoop, as always, uh, we're proud to have it brought to you by Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured while on the road or the highway and the crash was someone else's fault, the insurance company is not going to be on your side. You need us, Temple Law Grads, who will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, call us today at 215-261- 7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans-law.com. Got some stuff to celebrate today, guys. Rymir Vaughn, our, our two of our alscoop.com staff members, Rymir Vaughn, who of course is with us today, and Max Dinenberg, two of the Philadelphia Inquirers, newest interns. Congrats, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Congratulations, Rymir. Thank you. We're all recording from our respective corners of the Philadelphia region today. I'm in Delaware County recording. I have COVID. COVID finally got me. It sucks. Don't like yeah. it. Kyle, how many times did you come down with it? Twice? Once. I was a, co- I was a cocoa virgin uh, three weeks ago. Um, but same thing. I, I I bobbed and weaved. I probably had it, but undiagnosed before. But bobbed and weaved and saw my first positive three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was. You're just a Cocoa Virgin. Yeah, Cocoa Virgin. First time I got a Cocoa. I said that on work. I didn't say the Virgin part, but I was like, ah, oh, the Cocoa finally got me at work the other day. And I think people realized like, that I was talking about like like nose candy. And I was like, no, 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 like, COVID. <laughs> Kyle Kaus, role model in the community. Oh, I am very much Charles Barkley. I am not a role model. <laughs> not a role model. Johnny, you, you you can talk about certain aspects of your job with the Phils as the visiting team bat boy, but you can't talk about other things. Can you at least talk to us about being around Otani, Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was really cool. Just like you see these guys on TV all the time and like, you know, that they're like two of the two of baseball's best. And like, they're right there in front of you, like ordering a cheesesteak. Already lying, already lying. They play for the Los Angeles Angels. You do not see them on TV all the time. They don't exist. West Coast baseball does not exist. <laughs> they oh, are just... you see, okay, you see highlights of them on Twitter. You see lines in the box score and you go, oh, that must be good. <laughs> Fair, Kyle. Very fair. <laughs> but I think just you, you hear their names and you uh, like just for them to be in front of you, I think is like a very surreal thing. Like it, like I kind of, I've, I think I mentioned before, like I've kind of stopped getting starstruck. But this past week, like it was one of those things. Where I was like, da. 
Ronald Acuna doesn't get my heart pumping anymore, but you start seeing <laughs> Shohei Otani. Ronald Acuna in a bit of a dicey situation the other day. It was the security guard's fault for a lot of reasons. But the reason he fell, also security guard's fault. Yeah. They were just flopping around. Very. (laughs) Johnny said the Braves were one of his uh, favorite clubhouses. So Yes, they are. Johnny, did you you, uh, rub elbows with Mike Trout and say, like, Bud, this is a a sinking ship. You know it, right? No, I did not do that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Although... (laughs) Just started talking about state income taxes. But Ben, you gotta get out of California. Like that's 81 games a year that you're paying <laughs> increased rate. Hey, he's building the he's building the golf course with Tiger out in Vineland. Looking forward to uh looking forward to seeing it. The golf course or one of like Tiger's new like putt putt places? That's a good question. I thought it was a legit golf course. I don't know because I know I, I know Tiger would started doing like top golf-ish like putt putt where it's like it had drink beers and all design the course and all this stuff, but Ramir, did you do anything to celebrate last night? I went to sleep. No, I did. Johnny and Declan got me a cookie cake from Insomnia. Well, congrats on it. So that's that awesome. Was- you got a, a cookie cake. That's very nice. It was. It was. It was mostly Declan's idea, but I I was along for the ride and helped him helped him complete the purchase and bring it to Ramir. Next time, go old school. <laughs> get like a like a Carvel like cookie puss cake for. <laughs> We 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 were gonna we were gonna do like an actual cake, but we didn't want to walk all the way to Fresh Grocer, so we went to Insomnia instead. Would you have bought an actual cake, or would you have hand baked an actual cake? I don't I don't think Declan or I know how to bake. I don't want to speak for Declan, but I don't know how to you, bake. They come in like boxes, man. You can just like pour it out. You could have made it yourself. It would take like nah, thirty five minutes. I'd find a way to mess it up. I know I would. Famous number threes. I mean, some obvious. Said Earnhardt, right? Yeah, Declan wanted to get in. Dale Earnhardt. What do we got? What else? Iverson. Iverson's the obvious one. Johnny. Um, a Rod. Alex Rodriguez. He wore three. Thirteen. He wore three at one point, didn't he? Maybe I thought he was. Th- for some reason, I think of him as. He was. He was thirteen for a while, but I remember he switched to three at one point for some reason. Or maybe, maybe he wore him with the Mariners or something. Looks like with the Yankees, something like that. Thirteen. Yeah. I remember him being three at one point. Um, Babe Ruth wore Babe three. Ruth. Isn't Nolan Smith wearing three? Yeah. EJ Warner. I like that. Oh, EJ Warner? I don't think I like, I don't think I like Nolan Smith wearing three. What, Dwayne Wade wore three. Uh, Dwayne, Wade, Dwayne Wade wore three because of Iverson, right? I believe. I think so, yeah. What number do you want Nolan Smith wearing? Like a defensive player's number. The only defensive players that should be wearing single digits are cornerbacks. Other than that, it should be like, I want like a beefier number, even for an edge rusher. That's just me. Four in college. Yeah, college is different. College because they've always just been able to wear whatever the hell they want. NFL, I'm trying to be a little bit old manish on a porch with some of this stuff. You said before you said before we started recording, um, um, you do you want to tell everybody how you've created Al Scoop Power Rankings? <laughs> um, they're they're dynamic, they're fluid. Uh, it doesn't come out every week. It, it changes with the minute and the hour. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that uh should be on notice because we ha- we do a relegation system here and the bottom two Al Scoopers every season go down and I bring two up. So, oh, I'm out right now, right? Yeah, but it's, it's week zero, right? Like we haven't even had week one kickoff. So you have Nebraska, Minnesota tonight. So there's opportunities there. Johnny's up. Johnny and Mir are up in the rankings. Declan's out. I'm out. Declan's out because the best ability is availability. This is coming from somebody who shows up 16% of the time. And <laughs> Declan misses one and he plummets. Uh, well, let's get into this, this season opener. 
that's coming up Saturday that I will not be able to attend because I'll still be quarantining. But we'll have the staff in place that, that will have coverage for you of the game. Uh, again, Temple and Akron kicking off at 2 p.m. at the link on Saturday. Temple finished 3-9 and nine last year. Lost by a few one-score games, of course, as you're all aware. Akron on paper, 2-10 and 10 last season. But I think, as I said at the outset, this this season opener is a little bit more interesting and involved than I think that that most people will give it credit for. Um, if you're a Temple fan, you know about Joe Moorhead. You know what he did to really kind of, I don't want to say ruin Matt Rule's first season because Matt Rule was rebuilding in his first season as Temple's head coach. But he brought Fordham in there. Uh, they beat Temple on a, a touchdown pass with four seconds left to go. But Joe Moorhead's a really, really good coach he was good at Fordham he basically helped figure out helped uh James Franklin figure out what a what a real dynamic college offense could look like and parlayed that into a job at Mississippi State he was at Oregon before coming back to Akron he was on their staff in the past he's a really really good football coach they're an intriguing team again obviously two and ten last year but they lost a lot of one score games uh, Kyle Ramir I'll start with you guys what are some of the matchups that, that that stand out here to you guys? I, I don't think, like Kyle, we were talking about this right before we started recording, probably think that DJ Irons is probably going to start. Started 10 of their 12 games at quarterback last year before getting hurt. He's He can run the ball. He's got arm talent, did throw seven picks, but a guy that can make plays. What do we expect from this game? Again, I think this is – I think it's a game that Temple could win and should win, but I don't know that it'll be easy because they're, they're too – head coaches who are at the same point in their rebuilding junctures, but, but Joe Moorhead's a really, really good football coach and knows what he's doing. I'm not hundred percent positive with CJ irons. It wouldn't surprise me if Taj Bullock at least plays the Virginia tech transfer who either was committed to Rutgers or was essentially going to Rutgers before flipping to Virginia tech. Uh, I, w- I would think irons probably starts by, I would imagine there's going to be packages for Bullock who also is mobile and kind of brings that dual threat option looking at their team last year, I mean, they led the Mac in passing offense. Uh, they couldn't run the ball worth a crap and they're starting running back transferred out. Um, he was, he was also a Minnesota transfer to begin with, but since then they added a former five-star um, running back in the form of Lorenzo Lingard from Miami and from Florida. They had an Arizona transfer and Drake Anderson. I think the big matchups though, it's in the passing game, even with them losing Shockey. Uh, Jacquez Luis to the, not the NFL, but to graduation, they still bring home back like two wide receivers that had 800 yards last year. Um, LSU transfer Alex Adams, Penn State transfer Daniel George. I think the big word I would use to describe this team is transfers. They're just full of transfer portal kids from the Power Five. And I think we'd be guessing at anything beyond what you've kind of seen out there. I do agree that it'll probably be closer than people might think. I think people probably thought to one win or two win Mac team on the road. They haven't won a non-conference road game since 2018. I think people probably think that's a pushover. I think Akron's on the right track. I expect this to be a high scoring game, to be honest. I'm not saying it's going to be 70 to 60, but I think people are going to maybe have some concerns about Temple's defense after this game because Akron, I think, can really put points up. I haven't gotten a chance to actually dig deep into Akron yet. My plan was to do that tomorrow. I want to see at least how the offensive line looks in game one. They struggled mightily last year, whether it was due to poor play or injuries. They have to, one, get through a game healthy, and two, show that they can actually play. And 
I don't know how often the offensive line, the first team offensive line that was listed on the depth chart actually practiced together. Right. But they have to gel if quickly. Communication has to be right if in order for them to run the ball, which is something that Stan obviously loves. He did say that he wanted, you know, explosive plays and touchdowns, but he also said that the corridor offense is running the ball, and if they want those explosive plays down the field, those play-action plays, they have to be able to get something going on the ground, and that starts with the offensive line. Hey, let's talk about them for a second because, again, everybody kind of likes their team in August, right, which is everybody's, you know, everybody's entitled to that. But, I, I mean, I think we'd all be a little surprised if they're not better than they were last year. But, again, they were they were the third-worst rushing offense or second or third bus rushing offense in the entire country again we we all know by now it's a familiar storyline 12 weeks 12 different starting combinations the depth chart that they issued this week they have diego barajas junior college transfer at left tackle they, they have bryce tillman listed as the starter at left guard although he's been hurt and we did in, in the limited times that we've been able to go to practice luke watson uh the true freshman from delaware was in there getting snaps he's listed as the backup left guard rich rodriguez at center Wisdom Quarshi, who who Stan Drayton spoke of pretty highly recently at right guard, called him the most improved player on the line so far. And then Victor Stoffel, the single digit at right tackle with Melvin Siani behind him. Again, we know how many times Chris Wiesehan cross-trains these guys. Wouldn't entirely surprise me if you see, you know, a, a couple of different tweaks to that when the first team offense gets out there on Saturday. But I guess looking at that offensive line again, like it, it could be better. It should be better. Is Brahas the big question mark at left tackle just because he is new again, no matter how highly they've, they've spoken of him, the other four guys, I'm not trying to overinflate who Bryce Toman is. I mean, he's had his struggles and again, we're presuming that he's going to be healthy for the opener, but I mean, this is a really, really big test for Diego Brahas. If he's is indeed the, the starting left tackle did that surprise you guys or do you think he was going to be the 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 starter again on, on the depth chart as, as of now on thursday it was either going to be him or siani mm -hmm. so it's not really surprising especially since he actually does have some kind of college experience he even if it was you know junior college siani's a freshman he doesn't have the experience that barajas has so it doesn't surprise me that he got the start or at least on the depth chart the only thing that surprises me maybe with that is that James Famineau just wasn't a factor, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. It's that. not in the depth chart anywhere if I'm going from somebody that started games last year, but I would agree with Ramir, which is if, if Famineau wasn't an option there, no matter who you put there, was going to have no real experience at left tackle at, yeah. at Temple. So you might as well go with the older guy at Juco, who from all same purposes, people have been saying is like plug and play ready. They, they might, I mean, you were hearing about it even during the spring, which – I think Chris Wizans talked about he uh, Barajas was still just adjusting to being on the other side of the country from his family, and even then you were hearing about him. So no, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see him there. And here's Stan talking a little bit. Again, he, uh, this past week on Monday, he started his first weekly uh, Monday press conference of the season. Here's Stan Drayton talking about preparing for a lot of the unknowns, like Kyle just said a few moments ago. Akron is so transfer-heavy and, and with some names that – people follow recruiting names that people would recognize. And this is Stan Drayton talking about kind of the challenge of preparing for a team that loaded up in the portal. You can watch film of where these guys have been. You can follow the tendencies of the coordinators and what they've done in the past. And here's a little bit of, of what Stan was talking about there. Yeah. You just, you know, you don't know a whole lot of the guys that they've, you know, added onto their football team and we're, we're getting depth charts with names on them. And, 
you know, guys coming from some Power Five schools. I mean, I'm sure they're, you know, going to be, you know, amped up and ready to play Temple. You know, but um, you know, for us, um, as much as we can, we'll 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 do as much research as we can to try to find out as much about the individual uh, players. Um, but we're we're really locked in and focused onto the the personality of the coordinators, the people who are going to call the the game. You know. Um, um, the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, the, the head football coach. We're, we're just trying to really get a gauge on what their tendencies and their personality is. And uh, we'll, we'll try to build a, a scheme that would be, you know, that will fit what we have to defend against for sure. Hey, look, looking at, at, at Temple's defense here, and, and we'll hear from Jordan McGee in a second here. We have a clip from him. We know that linebackers are strength. Uh, and again, I, I I agree with Kyle. I think this is going to be a high scoring game, but the linebacking core is deep. I think that they can, I think we can safely say that they probably added some good depth at corner. They seem to like the coaching that they're getting from Dominique Bowman. Dom Hill sounds like a more confident player. Uh, there was that, that conversation where Dominique Bowman talked to him about, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. We said, I'm not going to coach every corner the same way. You can't, if you're built one way, you can't be this type of corner or that type of corner. And that seemed to kind of resonate with Dom Hill a little bit. They like what they have in, in Benesueke. Uh, but that that linebacking core, still pretty strong. What do we think of the defense heading into Saturday? Again, there, there are a lot of unknowns with Akron. And Kyle, I agree with you. I think, I guess the question I want to ask is based off of what you said. Like, if this is a high scoring game because of the potential options that Akron has, how much do you take from the first game? If Temple ends up winning this one, something like 38, 34, something like that, we're not at the predictions part yet, but uh, what are you expecting from this defense in the opener in this season? Because I think they might be a little bit stronger on that side of the ball, but uh, how much would you take from what you see on Saturday based off of some of those numbers, if it is a high scoring game? To answer the first part of how am I feeling about the defense? I felt better before it was revealed that Demeric Morris is dinged up. Um, I felt better, better before it found out that KJ Miles wasn't playing the entire most of the fall. I mean, yeah. I, I think that defensive line is a big, big, big question mark. I'm very confident about the linebackers. I'm pretty confident about the corners, um, safeties. You've got returning guys. I think there's they did a good influx of they got a good influx of talent. The guys like Dewan Black, Kamar Wilcoxon, and David Hood. But I'm I'm a little nervous there. I mean, I think Akron's. Offensive line is pretty bad. They were pretty bad last year, and they, they lost two tackles as well. So I, I'm not going to take much of the defense one way or the other from this game, to be honest. If if it's a repeat of 2015 Penn State where Temple gets 10 sacks, I'm not going to all of a sudden feel confident about the defensive line because Akron might just be that bad offense on uh, offensive line. Conversely, if Jalen McMurray and Dom Hill both give up a bomb and Temple gives, gives up 28 points to Akron. I'm not going to all of a sudden think the sky's falling because those are two really good wide receivers that they have in Adams and George. So I, I kind of just fall back to Al Davis where it's just win, baby. I don't really care. Like at this point in, in the rebuild with Temple's going through, I don't think they're at the point where they can be picky about how they get wins. Sandrine has three wins under his belt. He needs five, six, seven, eight more this year to make people continue to think he's on the right track. So uh, it's just, I'm just entering with a complete blank slate to beginning, to be honest with you. Um, I think, especially on the defensive end is, I think there's enough returning pieces, but there's been enough p- departures at some pretty key positions that I'm just very curious to see how they're going to look. 
Ramir and Johnny, you guys, given that, you know, the injuries that Kyle talked about, you guys have those same concerns about the defensive line. And we have a we have a mailbag question about the defensive line. We've got, we'll talk more about this team, obviously, in the mailbag as well. But that would that be the, the biggest area of concern for you guys, too? Yeah, I think for me, it's the defensive line with the struggles they had against the run game last year. And like Kyle mentioned, Barrick Morris being dinged up as well. I think that you have some worry there. You have some guys coming in, but I, I think that's definitely the weakest point of your defense heading into week one against Akron and that's going to be a spot that I'm watching on this Saturday when it comes to the defensive line I wouldn't necessarily say the defensive line is a problem for me in this game specifically but overall for future yes but they were they're apparently really good at passing the football the secondary needs to communicate well Stan said the safeties are the quarterback of the defense whoever is out there whether it's Odom and Daravell or um, Taiwan Francis and whoever's back there, whoever is starting, they need to be able to communicate. They lost games last year because they couldn't communicate on the back end. And usually we saw it when Temple played USF last year. Temple's offensive line isn't great. They ran for, what, 250 against USF? So I'm not too worried about Temple's defensive line in this game. I think they'll be able to actually stop like the run game, essentially. You mentioned Taiwan Francis. I think a, a few episodes ago, you talked about, or at some point along the way, you said you, about him maybe potentially being a tone setter. Again, it's the depth chart and nothing more, but they have him listed in that Al position, which is their name for that roaming, like safety Star. backer hybrid position. Boobo. What's that? Oh, the Boobo. We're calling it the Boobo again. What would you call it if you had a if you had the opportunity to name it? Nickel. <laughs> You don't want to get crafty. No, this one I think what was it. Was it um great? You're like no. Who was it? Uh, Chris Woods. I had that quote during the fall when he was like, "People like to put different names and twists and pretend they invented anything. Nothing new is happening in football in sixty years." I know. He was like, like <laughs> he was a little. He was like Chris Woods was was summoning a little bit of Phil Snow in his appearance, wasn't he? I don't know if you guys know, but I coached the XFL Dallas. Renegades. I don't remember. Try to you guys missed covering Phil Snow, where like every once in a while, if like a younger reporter would ask him a question be like try to remember uh it's around pat tillman i mean there was a, a student reporter years ago who i don't want to mention his name but again with all due respect to tyler madikavich he was wonderful uh somebody asked phil snow is tyler madikavich the best defensive player you've ever coached he's like i try to remember i did coach terrell suggs pat tillman <laughs> and i was like oh buddy you know and then he was i mean he had high praise for tyler but yeah i felt a little bit of phil snow creeping up in, in Chris Woods and he was like I I did coach with Everett before and I was like I, I know I, I think Taiwan Francis will be interesting to watch in this one game against one team facing one sort of offensive scheme but Ramir you make a great point I mean communication in multiple parts of the field uh, cost them on both on both ends of the ball here's Jordan McGee talking about a little bit more detail from what you heard from Stan Drayton uh, here's Jordan McGee giving you a little bit more of a detailed breakdown of what DJ Irons likes to do that is presuming he's going to be the starter, but here's, here's Jordan talking about what he has seen from him on film. From Akron, they're a heavy pass team. Um, quarterback has a live arm. He like his favorite throws are the field outs. He like in the field outs with, with a soft corner. If, if we're playing cover three, you know, he's going to hit that field out. If the corner is playing off seven yards off, um, uh, favorite route concepts like mesh and, uh, dagger and stuff like that. All right, guys, prediction time. Who's going to win? Give me a final score and why. Johnny, 
putting you on the spot. As the assistant sports editor for TTN, we do like the our predictions and what what we think it'll be. I, I had a pretty high scoring game for mine. I had uh, Temple winning thirty five seventeen. I I only had Akron scoring seventeen. I do I do think that they could score higher, but I, I have Temple winning thirty five seventeen. Just with I think the Temple will be able to take advantage of Akron's uh, like they struggled with against the pass last year. I think Temple will be able to take advantage of that and. EJ will have a good first start to start his second year. Premier? I will go oh, similar to Johnny in terms of score, 35-21, rather. I think Temple Temple has an opportunity to really figure out who they are on offense in week one. And I think they do that. I think they do run the ball well. I think they'll throw the ball pretty well. And They'll go in there pretty and they'll come out of excuse me, they'll come out of it, you know, feeling really good about their offense. And I think the defense just does enough to the point where they don't let Akron score. Yeah, I think my gut tells me that Iron starts just because he's an, an incumbent starter. They at least gets first whack at it. Last year, fifty seven percent of his passes came from with within ten yards or behind the line of scrimmage. So I think Temple's gonna be able to kind of play up on them a little bit from corner standpoint, kind of threaten him to use his arm to beat them. I I just really feel pretty comfortable about Temple's wideouts against them. Um, I think Temple's offense has a fair amount of weapons. I think EJ is the type of quarterback to not have a sophomore slump just based upon the type of player he is. I'm going to say I agree kind of almost with Ramir um, where I think the offense is going to be fine and the defense is going to do enough. I'm going to say 41 to 28. Hmm. I'm going to go 38-35 Temple, not on a late Camden Price field goal, but – I think it could be like a 38-28 game and, and Akron gets a, a a late touchdown. But yeah, I do like a lot of the, the matchups. Again, it's it, it part of it is kind of a crapshoot. Again, Kyle wisely mentioned a lot of the the transfer portal guys that they added, and you get what you get sometimes. Sometimes you really get great value there. Sometimes I stand right to say you get guys and you realize, oh, this is why they were in the portal. But I do think Temple should be able to win this game. But again, I think the average fan may not realize just how good of a coach Joe Moorhead is and knowledgeable Temple fans know how upset they were in Matt Rule's first season when he brought Fordham in and, and beat him. There were people calling for Matt Rule's job after that. That was uh, the press conference, Kyle, and I remember where Richburg was was doing his best to try to protect Matt, and Matt had gotten like four or five questions. He's like, right, is that everything, guys? And Matt said, no, Rich, Rich, these guys came here. They're working. Whatever you guys need, I'll answer every question. So yeah, my, I, I'm thinking 38-35 on this one. We'll see. We did promise that we would talk about Temple's uh, non-conference basketball schedule. We kind of broke that news on our message board a little while before uh, it was uh, announced by the university. We'll talk about that and then get into more football here in the mailbag to to close things out. But yeah, uh, people, if you're a Temple basketball fan, you're probably not too stoked about this non-conference schedule. Don't blame you. Again, there aren't too many surprises here. We've been reporting bits and pieces of this along the way. Other than the VCU game, Temple plays at VCU on December 16th. And then at, excuse me, against Nevada, December 21st, the first round of that Diamond Head Classic out in Honolulu. Those are the two, as of now, guaranteed opponents they have that were NCAA tournament teams last season. But again, I say guaranteed teams because again, they could advance in the Diamond Head Classic. They could, they could beat Drexel. They could beat LaSalle and then end up playing someone like Villanova 
uh, in the Big Five tournament. But in the teams that they are guaranteed to play, those teams last season finished with a combined record of 145 and 170 and an average net ranking of a little less than 192. And then, of course, what's getting a lot of people, as we've been reporting all along, they are playing Bloomsburg this year, not in an exhibition game, but a regular season game. That's the first time they're playing a D2 team in the regular season since 1982-83, which was John Cheney's first season. Bloomsburg, in case you're wondering, if you haven't been uh, a fervent PSAC basketball fan, uh, Bloomsburg was 1-25 last season. So, again, if if Temple, depending on how they do in some of these early season tournaments or how they do in the Big Five, yeah, they could end up playing a Villanova. They could end up playing an improved St. Joe's team. Or they, if they move ahead in the Diamond Classic, they could end up playing a TCU. They could play St. Mary's. I don't know. There's been so much turnover with this roster, but – Kyle, I'll, I'll turn to you on this. Your, your your thoughts on the schedule? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to make this as about easy as a soft landing as Adam Fisher can expect in his first season. Um, I don't think Temple should be ever playing schools that come to downtown West and offer free admission during lunch break if you go and, and bring a transcript. Um, like these little direction, not directional, but Pennsylvania higher school board of education schools are D three schools for a reason or D two schools for a reason. Pashi, Pashi schools, right? So it's called. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Literally it was like IUP Bloomsburg, all these schools would come and be like, Hey, Bloomsburg's here this weekend or this today, bring your last report card to the library and you'll get an instant admission policy uh, decision. So once like once I got into IUP, I was just like, I'm not doing, I'm not going to school anymore because I got, I got into one. So the rest will figure itself out. And here I am, Temple. <laughs> um, even on that, like it just blows my mind. Like I understand what they're doing, but the, the thing that we were talking about this the other day, Merrimack's head coach is literally on Twitter being like, hey, we need a game against a Division One opponent who wants to play on like December 9th. I would rather they play those type of games, which are at least against D1 opponents, even if you have to go on the road. And play those games instead of kind of scraping down there. I don't know if there's a connection. I don't know if Adam Fisher's friends with somebody on their staff and it kind of worked out or whatever it was. But um, it's like I said, it's obvious. I think what they're doing. And I think I think it's going to pad a lot of stats and Adam Fisher's out of uh, first 15 games of his Temple career, and then we we'll go from there. If you're an optimist, it's kind of you just gearing up for next year because look, only Sam Hoffman is out of eligibility after this year. You're going to have most of the team back unless people transfer out, which inevitably they will. Um, so maybe you're just kind of viewing it as like, this is that rebuilding year. We're going to gel together. We're going to go from there. But I don't think that's how you build a team. I think you put them through tougher environments and see if somebody, see if you get better. But it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and back to the Bloomsburg thing. I mean, I think it's more evidence that, yes, they do have a couple of, of quote unquote, buy games on their schedule again maryland eastern shore coming in is as decimating of a, not that that was the only one but as decimating and bad of a loss as that was last year for temple they actually finished 18 and 13 last year navy actually was i think they were also 18 and 13 uh but columbia was bad Ole miss was 13th in the sec navy uh, playing the caa where's navy playing them yes uh the uh, patriot league i'm sorry patriot uh, league, okay. finished behind uh finished behind uh colgate but um you know, they, they do have a couple of buy games on the schedule, but again, when I 
talked to a couple of people on this. They said, yeah, I mean, it's obviously cheaper to play a school like Bloomsburg. So it's also kind of a nod to like the struggles of the athletic department right now. But again, I agree with you. I, I think they could have found other options there or suck it up and play a couple more games on the road. I mean, I think the upside of this, if you're trying to be beyond optimistic is maybe just maybe, and I'm far from guaranteeing this, maybe with, with so many new pieces with the Matteo Piccarelli, Jordan Riley, Steve Settle, Zion Stanford coming as a true freshman, all these guys, maybe they feel good about themselves after these first several games, even if they know that they're not playing great competition. And maybe that, maybe they just need to see the ball go in the, in the basket and they feel a little bit better heading into conference play. And again, uh, Kyle, you pointed out in your story here, even in the conference schedule, the American didn't do many favors. You know, FAU comes into the league. They don't get a home and home with them. They're playing them once down in Boca Raton. But yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen them sign up for a couple more, you know, tougher road games, or at least just, just get out on the road. But um, I'm sure nobody's nobody expected fans to be happy or excited about this schedule. I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but since they've joined the American, I can't tell you any time that they release a conference schedule where I'm like, oh, they got the marquee matchup that they expected to get. No, they it's don't. like when they never yeah. get Memphis at home. Yep. When UConn was still there, they wouldn't get UConn at home as often. Like they just, they never seem to get that way. Wichita State first joined. I don't think they got them yep. at home until the second year. No, they don't. Focus, I, I, take care of your house. Happy wife, happy life, Mike Oresco, before you start looking outside the marriage. Okay. <laughs> take care of Temple. We should have him on the podcast and he would probably talk about do it. He would do it. We can have him on the podcast tomorrow. Like what's, uh, what are you doing at at one 30 in the morning? I'll be up eating midnight snack. Saltines. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Mike Oresco. You caught me eating saltines. Um, (laughs) so yeah. And, and again, I will be talking more about the non-conference schedule as the, as the, the season gets closer. I agree, Kyle. They, they don't, the American does not seem to do Temple any favors there. That's either lack of respect or maybe Temple's not doing enough as, as it could when it comes to having some sway over the schedule. I don't know, but I agree. They, they just don't seem to really get uh, too many breaks there. Let's get back into, well, let's get into the mailbag, I should say, because there's more, more football, more basketball there. Uh, another fun question to close things out here off topic. It's about soup. So we'll look forward to that one. Uh, first one comes from, uh, one of our new subscribers. The screen name is Dan green. His question, how do you really, in all caps, how do you really think the DL defensive line will do this year? Not looking for what you think I want to hear as the dad of a DL recruit looking for the truth. I understand it is the first actual game coming up, but based on what you've heard, and your vibes. So Dan Green, if we can reasonably assume that you are Conlon Green's father, uh, I'll start by saying that, hey, I mean, uh, at one point in the preseason, I think Stan brought up Conlon's name, you know, without being asked about him. So your son's name's come up a, a couple of times. I'm not trying to throw rose colored glasses at you there. So he must be doing uh, something to get in the mix there as a true freshman. Um, I mean, we talked earlier in the, in the podcast here about you know, the injury concerns. Um, so I do, th- I do think that's a concern, but I guess the one thing I'll throw in, um, I think at least early on the defensive line, at least in this scheme, I, I think will be helped out by the fact that again, even though you lost DJ Elliott to the Eagles, Everett Withers comes in, 
he's a very, very experienced college coach, a very, very experienced defensive coach. He's a former head coach. And in this scheme, they bring pressure from everywhere. And it's not like, and again, they're by far not the only program to do this. It's not like the defensive coordinator is saying, Hey, for, for my three or four guys up front, you guys have to bring all the pressure. You guys have to set the tone. You know, like they, they could bring pressure from the linebackers that they did last year. They could bring pressure from the corners, the safeties. So um, even if they are a little dinged up at first, I don't think the onus is just on them to bring pressure. Now, where there is a little bit more pressure on them, Johnny said, I think earlier is they're the first line of defense, obviously against the run. So I think there are some concerns there again, Sounds like your son did some some things early on uh, to impress. Uh, so that's my take on it. What do you guys think? Whoever talks first goes up in the rankings. Other person down. I had no, I say, but it kind of like left my mind. <laughs> I think uh, for me, I think um, just specifically looking at week one. I think if it is iron starting, I think. I'm looking for to see how they'll perform against a mobile quarterback. I think that's something that they didn't experience too much last year, and I think I'm curious to see how they'll able to do against Irons, who was able to pick up a lot of yards with his feet last year and extend plays, and I'm curious to see how they'll do with that. And like you mentioned, John, the the injuries that have been mentioned, and we'll have to see people. there's going to be people that will need to step up as well. So I think um, – how they'll do against the run, a mobile quarterback, and just who will be able to step up um, if there's injuries or anything. Kyle, Mr. Green, Prime here. I don't really think that there's like a set depth chart for her. Like with Demer going out, whoever is the best person is going to play. So at this point, is is next man up. And they have to just – they have to do their job if they want to have any success against, you know, like a mobile quarterback. I'm not too sure if they run a lot of zone reads or, you know, if they run triple option or, you know, things like that. But I think they'll mainly look to get pressure from the edge rushers, like guys like DeLon Black, guys like Trey Thomas, guys like um, Leighton Jordan. I'm pretty yeah. sure they'll look. No, sorry to, sorry to jump in. I was going to ask you guys about Trey Thomas. Again, it's a depth chart. It is what it is. Trey Thomas was was frequently listed as an outside linebacker last year. They have him listed as 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 a defensive lineman this year. He hasn't put on a ton of weight or anything like that. Anything to make of that? If if he is lining up as a down lineman as opposed to like an outside linebacker, if that happens, did that surprise you at all, seeing him listed as a defensive lineman, or is there not much to make of that? I mean, he's 225. If he's playing on the interior, that's extremely light. Yeah. And you're asking for trouble. You only want to put someone like that on the interior or obvious passing downs, like third and 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe they only classify one outside linebacker position as, um, like, an edge rusher. I it, it confused me. I didn't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not – I'm not expecting all of a sudden if uh, a, a true interior guy goes down, they're going to be like, well, 
right. slide on in. Like, sorry to tell you, Trey, like you're a defensive lineman now. I think it's more just what Stan said, trying to get up the 11 best guys on there. Yeah. Um, what do I think the defensive line is going to be like? I am not that worried about them being able to get to the, the quarterback. Like everyone else said, it's all about stopping the run. I'll be curious to see if halfway through the season, if guys like Common Green, Samar Grove, mm-hmm. um, Lansley Teray, like if those guys start to carve out bigger roles just because they are bigger bodies that can kind of help fill, fill that thing. I think they'll be better second half of the season than they are the first. I think to show you how football all works together, this is why Edward Sadie and Temple's running game needs to be able to run the ball because they need they can't go three and now and be like, hey, guess what? We have four down linemen that are gassed out on the sideline and now have to play 85 snaps a game on defense. So people uh, helping next, people. People helping people. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, next question here comes from uh, one of our longtime subscribers, Green Street Al. My annual question revisited, what will be the team's final record each host go through the schedule game by game for tie-breaking purposes. If you have us getting ball eligible, which one do we go to? Thanks for the great coverage, guys. Let's I, not go game by game. I don't know. If we'll, yeah, I don't know if we'll have the time to go game by game. Um, I can go final records. I don't have any super detailed outlooks for you with uh, what bowl game they're going to go to. Who wants to start us off? Final record. I'll go first. Go. I have them going seven and five. I like it. A little optimistic. A little optimistic. optimistic. But I don't think it's that. Why, why seven and five, John? Um, I, I think that, I mean, just go, I guess going like um, little bit by little bit. I think I have them getting off to a hot start, those, those first three games, and then kind of faltering a little bit, getting back to an even record. And then towards the end of the season, there's a couple games that they could win or games that they shouldn't win. And I think they'll hand them off some games they should win, they'll lose, and other games that they might not have a place in winning, they can win those as well and surprise people. So I think it's going to be 7-5 and five optimistic just because of the hot start. Mir, why don't you go next? Originally, I had them at 5-7, um, and seven, but mm-hmm. if they want to get to a bowl game, they're going to have to beat an opponent who they probably should beat because I think they do have five wins on the schedule. And I think one of those games is Rutgers, and I think they do beat Rutgers, so six and six. If they if they beat Rutgers, I think they have like a 90% chance of making a bowl. I think I'm going to echo kind of what both of them said. I think six and six. I think they're going to come out of that bye game after they play SMU on a Friday national television. Then they go on a bye. I think they're going to leave that bye having to win like three or four down the stretch to go to a, a bowl game. And I think – it's enough of an easy schedule down the stretch. Yeah, they're gonna have to go on the road and win some games, but I think they'll finish six and six. Yeah, I think they're a six and sixteen too. Uh, if a couple of things break for them favorably, sure. Why not seven and five? I mean, there are just simply put, there are fewer question marks this year. You have you can feel excited about the quarterback position for the first time in a little while. You can feel excited about your linebackers on on special teams. Again, we'll see what happens with the coverage units. We haven't seen Dante Adden punt yet in any sort of game situations, but they're high enough on him as another uh, Australian kicker. We know what they're getting in Camden Price. Uh, we'll see what Chris Van Eckren is like as a kickoff specialist. We'll see what happens uh, in the return game. Kind of intriguing to see if if any of the like the freshmen, like a, like a Richard Dandridge, gets a, a shot in the in the kickoff return game. Mod Anderson could be good if he can just hold on to the ball. Um, 
in the punt return game. Um, but you you have positions to be excited about. The tight end room is deep. Uh, you know, he'll probably be my answer in another mailbag question. Like a Dante Wright. Uh, there there are some impact players. I think that they're probably we're probably going to find out that they hit more than they miss in the portal. So I think that they have enough to feel good about uh, to be a six and six team. Of course, we'll see. Um, next mailbag question here from former Al Scoop staff member Liam Gianelli. Johnny, you might know this guy. I do. What newcomer will make an immediate impact in week one? Since you're since you are are tight with Liam here, Johnny, what what we'll, we'll go go with you first. Um, I think based on uh my score prediction of a, of Temple scoring thirty five, I think um I'm gonna go with Dante right here, incoming wide receiver. I feel like he'll be able. To, I think I just I just have this vision of him uh in the first half breaking free and getting a big touchdown to set the set the tone for the offense that that's that's my pick for someone that'll break out and be an immediate impact envisage johnny seeing visions <laughs> yes i have um also uh, since uh yeah i i'll take it a uh, position we just talked about a lot i see alan hay having a pretty significant impact on this defense at a position of big need so <laughs> big big need uh, i think dante wright is also a good choice Dante Wright would also be my choice to return punts, but I'm not Adam Shire. Mm-hmm. Mir? I'll take the other Colorado State transfer, um, Taiwan Francis. You know how much I like Taiwan Francis and his role as a tone setter. And again, I've said it numerous times. I think that's what, something that they needed on defense, and I think you'll feel it in week one. I'm going with Dante Wright. Would also like to put Taiwan Francis on the all-interview team. When we talked to him, what was that a couple weeks ago? And Declan was asking him a question for like for um just the whole like when Declan was writing the story on how to like tangibly get to like how much is the the culture changed. And he asked him about uh about what it takes to have a good player-led team. And Taiwan said, Ah, yes, the whole player-led question. Yes. And he like it just the way he said it, and I was like, I like this kid. He was just he was he was a good interview. He was he he was he was prepared. He's on the 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 John DeCarlo all interview team, which will grow as the season goes on. Um, Kyle's got a drop off here in a second. Love you, buddy. <laughs> um, Hi, Kyle. Got a couple more mailbag questions to to finish us out here. This one is a basketball mailbag question, and then something off topic from another one of our longtime subscribers. The basketball one here comes from the screen name Temple Al nineteen ninety six. First part of the two-part question here. What transfer do you think will make the biggest impact? This is basketball. Steve Settle. I think he fits with um, um, Fish. I just spoke to him earlier. I I think we're, I think he fits what Fish wants to do in terms of being able to spread the floor. And he's, you know, pretty tall. So it's something that they don't necessarily have. Um, he'll be able to, you know, spread the floor be able to knock down shots for them hope hopefully don't want to you know jinx them knock on wood but i do think steve settle is going to be he 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 might end up being one of the better players on the team by the end of the season mm-hmm. i think steve settles an intriguing answer there are a lot of different directions you can go in here um if depending on the day for me i think jordan riley is an acceptable answer i mean his name keeps coming up and coming up he's he's really strong uh, a guy that 
they showed some real flashes at Georgetown in a, in a, in a program that was obviously heading in the wrong way uh, under Patrick Ewing. Uh, he's a good two-way player, has a chance to be a very good two-way player. He's got to prove that he can be a little bit more of a consistent shooter, but a guy that, you know, Heiser Miller's talked about him a lot. Uh, his name keeps coming up, the coaches. But I think a guy that could make an immediate impact for them, not that, that is, those guys couldn't, is Matteo Piccarelli. I mean, if Adam Fisher keeps saying, we want to shoot threes, we want to shoot threes, he can really shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, he did it at UMBC. Of course, people are going to be saying, okay, can he do it in a in a better and more physical league? I, I don't think he's just the, the people you talk to who have seen him play a lot. He's not just a, you know, catch and shoot guy, a guy that needs like five feet of space in front of him to get a shot off. I think he's a little bit better than that. I, I've had the chance to see them work out a few times this summer and he is he is a dead eye shooter and i mean obviously they lost a lot with damian dunn they lost a lot with jameel reynolds jameel reynolds wasn't a, a perimeter guy they lost a lot with zach hicks despite his troubles and inconsistencies last year we can agree that he was a very good shooter um i think mateo piccarelli could have a real impact for them if they are in some of those early non-conference games and they're struggling just because they're trying to blend the chemistry of the roster together. And even if they're trying to move the ball up and down the floor, Matteo Piccarelli is a guy that could really break them out of a slump where we say, you know, the, the coaches might say, Hey, we need somebody to hit a shot and he can do that. So I think he could be, he could be that guy. Johnny, do you just want to go with Jordan Riley since we've taken everybody else? You could go with somebody. I'll go, yeah. I'll, I'll go, I'll go with Jordan Riley as my pick. Since you got, yeah, 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 it sounds good. Uh, out of that the returners, good. okay. The second part of Temple Owl 1996's question: Out of the returners and Zion Stanford, not counting Jaleel White and Heisier Miller, is there anyone that you believe will be a key piece of the rotation? Well, if we're not allowed to count Jaleel White and Heisier Miller. Out of the returners and Zion Stanford, I guess that means we're not allowed to include Zion Stanford. So no, I, think we, I, th I think it is including Zion. So it's just okay. not including All right. the transfers, the transfer ins, and Miller and uh, White. Anybody who will be a key piece of the rotation, I don't know. Uh, because, you know, taking Jaleel White and, and Fabo in the mix is a lot. You know, if you're with us a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I see her talked about how he thinks Tosh Tweet has gotten a lot better. We'll see. Maybe there's a possibility there. Maybe Emmanuel Pomo has a little bit more of an expanded role with this new staff. I'm not expecting Deuce Roberts to jump into, into the rotation. Shane Dizoni is a guy that you would hope would maybe find his stride under this staff if he can, if he can stay healthy. But other than that, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they need, if they want to be competitive, if they want to be a 500 team or a little bit better, uh, again, I think we can all agree that they would it would be fairly shocking if they're an NCAA tournament team this year. They need Heisier Miller and Jaleel White to be, to be steady, to be better than they were last year. But beyond that, you're, you're kind of, I don't want to say you're stretching it, but again, I could see that Shane Dizoni would have to be healthy, uh, shoot the ball. There's potential there. Again, I don't know. Beyond that, it's kind of, I, I think you're dealing with some limited options, but we'll see. Any other thoughts on that one, guys? No, I mean, I just think Akpomo, just because of his size, will 
I feel like he definitely is a possibility. And you mentioned Shane Dazoni. I think he showed minor flashes in the, in, at times when he was healthy that he was able to shoot the ball. So I think if he's a guy, like you mentioned, that can stay healthy, I think he he's a guy you hope could definitely evolve with this program and new coaching staff. And even with a guy like Emmanuel Pomo, I'm not ruling out the fact that like in a certain game, depending on time, circumstance, opponent, whatever, I, I, I just don't see, based on what Adam Fisher has talked about, I don't see him running a ton of sets where he says, okay, we're going to work inside out, like Aaron McKee used to say. Like, Ema, we want you to go down there and just post up, and we're hoping that you're going to draw a double team and either go up and get fouled and go to the line or pass out of it. I think he really wants his bigs to be, as he said, like elite screen setters, good defenders. And Ema's going to have to transition into being that type of player. So maybe he will have an impact uh, in that way. But beyond that, I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, last mailbag question to uh, to close us out here comes from TU Owls fan 2004 another one of our longtime subscribers. And a bit of a nod to Jog getting sick. Oh, thank you. I need each of your top three kinds of soup. My wife would love this question because she makes fun of me for, for loving soup. Ramir or Johnny, I'm going to let you guys start off with this one first. Johnny, I imagine you were a big soup soup guy growing up. I I actually wasn't the biggest soup guy. I've I've, be, I've grown into soup. I didn't like soup when I was younger. I'm into soup. You were you didn't like? I really wish Kyle was still on for this because he would probably imitate you. I don't want soup, mom. I don't want. I don't want it. He definitely would do that. Yes. Now I'm. Um, yeah, you'll you'll do it for him. All right, top but three soups, Johnny's was like. Top three soups. I think chicken noodle has to be on there. I think it'd be a crime of a list. Any particular, like from a particular place? A no, I I think I've I've honestly I've never had like a terrible chicken noodle soup that like I, I think a lot of them have all been pretty good. I think and I think that's why it has to be on there because no matter where you get it from, I feel like it's always going to be pretty good. Right and well, what was that, Ramir? It's hard to mess it up. Exactly. It's hard to mess it up. Exactly. Um, I love lobster bisque. I'm a little fancy like that. I think lobster bisque is a great soup. I think that goes on there. And um, I'm a sucker for French onion soup, too. I love onion. Ramir, three favorite soups. Um, As Johnny said, chicken noodles. Ah, excuse me. Chicken noodle soup is on that list. It has to be. Spicy chicken noodle soup is good too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah! I forgot where I get it from. Campbell's, maybe I think. <laughs> Campbell's, this little mom and pop company. <laughs> Anything else beyond chicken noodle? Any any uh, any other choices? Or are you just strictly a chicken noodle guy? No, nah, I like lentil too. I don't. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what about it. I like, but lentil is pretty fun. And um, lasagna soup is good too. Wait, wait, what? Lasagna soup? Lasagna soup? What? Where do you get yeah. a lasagna soup? Is um, is it Progresso? Is either Progresso or what's the soup that come in the red can, the all red can, not the not the can with red and white. All red. I have no clue. I don't know. I'm gonna look this up. Now. All red soup can. No, like I didn't even know lasagna soup existed. I'm gonna look up lasagna soup. Just yeah. I had no idea. That blows my mind. Lasagna soup recipe. What? I don't think there's a lasagna soup here. Are you sure about this? Yeah, that's what it said on the can. 
Really? <laughs> it was lying. I have never. <laughs> I have never. I've never heard. Boyardee, Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee. No, that's that's what came up when I said lasagna soup, red uh, red can. No, bro. All right. Well, we will we will search for lasagna soup in the future. My three favorite soups, in no particular order. Uh, the next time you guys go down to South House, there's still going to be a WHIP sponsor this year, right? You guys still. So when you're at South House, next time you're down there. Stop at Johnny's at 12th and Wolf. The, the people down there call it Johnny Barrels. They make a chicken pastina soup. And pastina refers to like the small little tiny little Italian pasta. It's like chicken noodle soup, but with the pastina pasta, it's incredible. It's really, oh. especially if you're under the weather, it's an incredible soup. It's really, really, really good. That might be number one-ish for me. Um. The um chicken matzo ball soup at um at Jaime's in Narberth or Penn Valley, really, really good. Uh my mother-in-law recently made an incredible non-dairy clam chowder soup, which was really, really good. She made it with almond milk, I believe. Very good. I would love to eat lobster bisque, but it would most likely destroy me because it would be too uh too high on dairy. So as of now, those are my three favorite soups, TU Alice Fan 2004. So I uh, appreciate the mailbag questions. Again, stay tuned Saturday. We're going to have a ton of coverage for you from uh, from the season opener. Again, Temple and Akron, 2 p.m. at the link. If you are not at the game, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but if you aren't, the game's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. We've still got a few more uh, position preview stories to close you guys out and get you ready for the rest of the week. But uh Thanks to Kyle for being back with us. Again, thank you to Greenspan and Greenspan Injury Lawyers again for being a continued sponsor of the Scoop. Johnny, Ramir, good seeing you guys. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. I'm teaching my first sports writing class of the semester tonight on Zoom. I'll see you there. Again, can't be there in person because I still have COVID, which has been fun. Can't wait for this, this piece of crap sickness to be over but uh hope all of you out there are happy and healthy again thank you again we're in our ninth season of scoop now really really appreciate all of your support the mailbag questions means a lot uh have a great day have a great rest of the week and we'll talk to you soon Mm -hmm.